Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. We just got done watching that Rockets game, that blowout. I hope everybody's having a good week so far. What's going on, guys? Not much, just finishing up the semester at school and, and watching the Sixers. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm loving this uh, momentum that we're gaining going into the playoffs. Got a nice nice lead over the Nets, so yeah, all is good. Can't complain about the game for sure. Been dealing with a headache the last two days, but overall pretty good. My parents are in town. They're actually outside in the kitchen slash living room now, just chilling and uh, while I'm recording. So yeah, that's what's going on. But l- let's go ahead. We, we don't have too much time today, but let's go ahead and jump into... What we're going to be talking about, which is the Sixers. Chris, go ahead. Take it away, man. Yeah. So we're going to start with that Rockets game. We are recording pretty much directly afterwards on Wednesday night. The final score was 135 to 115 in Philadelphia's favor. That is six straight wins now for the Sixers with only a handful left in the season. Lucas, a pretty good Joel game, 34 and 12 on 17 shots, 14 of 16 from the charity stripe. The Rockets only had eight available players. Kelly Olynyk, naturally, as he is playing me in the fantasy championship this week, had a big game, but Houston never really stood much of a chance in this one. Uh, what what were some of your takeaways? Well, first off, this is Joel Embiid's fifth, I believe, fifteenth game where he had at least thirty points and ten rebounds by before the end of the third quarter. So, another monster game, another reason why his name should still be in the MVP race. Outside of that, Milton had a really strong game, 8 of 17 from the floor, 3 of uh, 7 from the three-point line. Thibel, another three steals and four block game. Just a menace defensively, and we're going to talk about Thibel later on today, guys, because it's just ridiculous how good he is. And while George Hill didn't score a lot, he was a maestro on offense and a solid defender with three steals and four assists. Danny Green had a solid game. Tobias didn't really need to go off, but he had a solid game of 15 points on 50% shooting from the field and three-point line. I will say this about the Rockets. Kevin Porter Jr. looks like he's going to have a solid future, even though he did go uh, go down in the game with an injury. And then uh, Kenyon Martin Jr., he might end up being better than his dad. The, the kid has real potential there, guys. He had uh, 23 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Won 10 of 17 from the field and 2 of 4 from the three-point line. Granted, he had the worst plus-minus with a minus 27, but he did play 44 minutes of that game, and that game was a blowout. So can't really blame him on that. But the kid has a bright future for sure. And like you said, Kelly Olynyk had a good game here, and he's had a great stretch since joining the Rockets. Good for him. He might get a really good payday. And outside of that, I don't really have much else. Chris, did you want to add anything? Yeah, not much. Um, to your Kelly Olenek point, I, I don't think it's good for him. I think he should stop until the fantasy season is over. And uh, on the Sixers point, George Hill, like you said, didn't put up a ton in the box score, only played 19 minutes. But we we have a project coming out at the site in the near future where we're going to rank everyone on the team. Um it's going to be an average list with several contributors who, who chipped in. I'm not going to spoil the where Hill is ranked right now. But to me, he, he's a top five player on this team. He, he's number five behind Danny Green, I think. I think he's going to be super important to this team in the playoffs. 
as he continues to ramp up and get used to this system and get you know familiar with Doc, I, I think we're just going to continue to see how important he's going to be to this team. Um, he, he just brings a ton of skills that the Sixers have always needed and very rarely had in the second unit. So I think he's going to continue to do pretty big things for this team. Wait, 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 Chris. You said you had him in the top five. That does that, and you said behind Danny Green. So you have Danny Green fourth. Does that mean you have Seth Curry outside of the top five right now? Uh, it, yeah, it does. Wow. Okay, that's a that's a debate for another day because I certainly don't agree, especially now that Curry's getting hot. But okay. Well, um, I mean. Like, he's been better his entire career. I don't think it's... I mean, to be fair, but Curry didn't really break out until, like, the last two seasons. So, I mean, that's not that's not fair on him. And Hill's had a lot longer to play than Curry. Yeah, I, I understand. It, it, it It's certainly a debate, the debatable thing. But I, I think George Hill's going to be quite good for this team. Oh, and... he's true for sure. Not saying that he's not. I think he yeah. would be number six on my list. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I think Shake heating up at the right time is is, is a good thing he, mm-hmm. he, we, we've talked very recently on this podcast about him maybe losing minutes he's certainly not trending in that direction anymore he, he seems to have kind of reasserted himself in the rotation 19 points on 8 of 17 shooting tonight took seven threes that that kind of confidence is going to help him quite a bit and it's going to help him stay you know in the playoff rotation in a pretty considerable role so i think that's definitely a positive Chris, Chris, we forgot to talk about Tyrese Maxey. 12 points, 7 assists, 2 of 4 from the three-point line on a couple catch and shoots. Maxey's turning it up right now, and it's great for the Sixers to have that from their rookie. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about Maxey a bit recently, mm-hmm. too. Um, I, again, I think next season's going to be a pretty big leap forward for him. I don't, I don't think he'll be outside the rotation then. It's pretty clear that he's not going to be much of a factor in the playoffs this season, but he's he's clearly part of the future, and he, he's he's improved drastically from the start of the season, even though he hasn't been getting much playing time, which which I definitely think is a credit to him. Let's talk about the Bulls game real quick. Uh, another win, of course, for the Sixers, one of six straight now. 106 to 94 was the final score. The Sixers were pretty much in the driver's seat for a lot of that game. They they, they wavered a little bit late but managed to regain control when it mattered most. Lucas, um, not a great game from Joel, one of his worst games of the season. Some might say 13 points on 13 shots, really, really struggled to get things going offensively. Uh, Tobias stepped things up in a pretty big way at 21 on 10 of 13 shooting, um, which was clearly very much needed. A very efficient night for Ben, a very efficient night again for Seth, who, as you mentioned, has been quite hot of late. What were some of your big takeaways? So in terms of Joel, I believe I saw a quote after the game where Joel was speaking about he really just wanted to get his teammates involved. So he wasn't too focused on the offense in that game. I don't think that's a fair excuse because, you know, you're an MVP candidate. You can't go 4 of 13 from the field. That's unacceptable. Even against a team like the like the Bulls, whose starting center is 6-8 and Daniel Tice because uh, – Nikola Vucevic is out at right now. Outside of that, uh, Matisse Thibel had another three point three block game, and I, I and we talked about this before the pod. But I'm just going to plug this in here for our re, uh, for our listeners. We, after you guys are done listening to this, go to this website, read my article about Matisse Thibel being a possibly could become a better shot blocker than Dwayne Wade. I think it's possible, and I think it's, it, uh, Matisse is already knocking on that door. Read my article, check it out, and I, I promise you, you won't regret it. 
I think um, that one play where he had a block on marketing, mm-hmm. and yeah. then in the same the same got possession, steal. he got a steal. Every that is that, just a thing of beauty. I watched it at least mm-hmm. twenty times. That it's, that that play made me write that article because marketing is a seven footer and he sh- blocked it from behind before the release of be- trailing the play. And I, I don't remember Dwayne ever being able to do that against a seven footer. Now he's blocked seven footer, footer footers before, but that's like guys like Tyson Chandler going in for a dunk, and Dwayne Wade met him at the rim, which is beyond impressive. And um, but how Thibel does it on his timing is just so unique that we've never really seen a wing do that consistently, being able to trail behind a play and get the ball before it gets released out of the shooter's hands. That's that's something special there. Breaking news, Sixers fans. This important public service announcement is brought to you by Manscaped.com. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure that your family jewels are as safe as possible. What makes this trimmer different from other trimmers? Well, first, there's a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, created for people who like to travel. The optimized Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof, so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. Did I mention wireless charging? The Lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. And now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I don't really have too much more to add on that. I, I mean, Matisse, I think all three of us, appreciate how special he is um we're going to talk about him at length later in the pod so i don't want to go too far on into that but the sixers have had a bit of luck here with the scheduling they, they have one of the easiest schedules in the league to finish things out um granted it's very condensed but so is everyone else's at this point um you know again six straight wins brooklyn has hit a bit of a road bump with these milwaukee games so they're in the driver's seat right now for the number one seat. They haven't locked it up, but they're they're heading in that direction. So it's definitely a good, a very positive stretch for Philly. For sure, Chris. I, I definitely agree. They definitely needed to have this. But let's go ahead, and we're going to go ahead and shift gears now. We're going to talk about the Sixers' improved clutch games, clutch play in games as of late. Brian Seltzer, uh, who works for the Sixers, he had this stat to throw out. The Sixers right now they are twenty four and eight in clutch games. That's a seventy five percent win percentage so far, and away the best in the league. Guys, we were so worried about you know the loss of Jimmy Butler and the Sixers couldn't be clutch anymore, but this season is kind of disproving that. So let me ask you guys this: What do we think is the biggest factor contributing to this clutch play this year? Uh, well, I mean, I think the obvious one is Joel. Just going supernova and taking his game up another level. He, he was not so reliable in the clutch in seasons past, and he has been one of the better clutch players this season. And he, he's someone the Sixers can rely on to hit big shots down the stretch without turning the ball over a ton, and that's that's been pretty big for them. 
obviously Tobias has taken a big step forward as well. And some of it, you know, has to go to Doc, who is clearly put them in a better place than they maybe were under Brett late in games. Um, you know, Doc Doc has it has his problems, but he he's one of the better offensive coaches in this league. Generally speaking, he's always been quite good at that side of the ball, and the Sixers' execution down the stretch of games has been so much better this season than it has been in the past. And some of that's on him. Some of that's just on the players who have who have improved. But no, I think Embiid's the big one for sure. I, I think you hit a lot of great points there, Chris. And honestly, I don't have too much more to add beyond that. So let's, I, like I said, I don't have anything else to add because you hit it right on the nail, Joel, that Doc Rivers has just been leading this team in the right way and putting his best players in the places to be most efficient. So you kind of already talked about the first question here. Obviously, uh, I'm going to ask who's the most clutch offensive player on the Sixers. I think you've already answered that, but do you want to go into a little bit more detail about it, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, behind Furkan, it's probably Embiid. Um, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, um, it, it's Embiid. Um, oh, I, I had to unmute myself for that one. I was like, <laughs> Chris is messing with us too much tonight, Uriah. He, he, he's playing too much. Yeah, no, I mean, it's Joel. Um, he, he, again, has become someone who is less turnover prone, less mistake prone in, in clutch moments and he has read double teams better he has read defenses better in general he has added more to his bag than he had even last season or the season before and he's just been hitting big shots all year like his mid-range game has been on fire from from you know the word go his three-point shot has been falling at a higher rate than ever before and he you know we all know he's very talented once he gets inside the paint so He's been doing it at every level. He's been doing it more efficiently than he ever has. And there's a reason he's probably, you know, top two in everyone's MVP ballot at this point. Uh, Yeah, I think you make some great points talking about his mid-range game especially. I think outside of, like, Kawhi Leonard and DeMar DeRozan, I would say Joel Embiid's probably the most lethal player in the mid-range outside of those two. Um, Well, I mean... I mean, let's be real. Let's have Kyrie and KD. I mean... Okay, but they don't usually attack the mid-range like Joel and well, those other two do. I mean, am I wrong? Yeah, they do. Ty- Kyrie goes for the either the three-pointer or he goes in for that dribble drive. But um, let's switch gears here. We talked about offense. Let's talk about defense. Which let's be let's be honest, that's a lot harder of a question because the Sixers have three players who, sh- in my opinion, should make the all-defensive team. Who do you think is the most clutch defensive player? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a pretty strong argument for Joel, frankly, just because of all that mm-hmm. he does on that side of the ball. Um, I, I mean, I guess I'll give my vote to Ben because he has pretty consistently come up with, with big plays this season down the stretch of games. Um, he's often guarding the best player on the other team. And he often does that very well. I mean, Mat- Matisse has had his share of impressive plays down the stretch of games, too. Uh, again, Joel is a really remarkable defender, and it's something we probably don't talk about enough because of what he's been doing on offense this season. Uh, so you could really go any which way, but uh, I'll give my vote to Ben. Yeah, I'm just just because uh, Doc doesn't always close games with Thibault, I'm going to take him out just because, you know, just depending on what the Sixers need, and he he's not going to always be able to sub offense for defense. It's a tough call. 
I'm going to lean more toward, and this does not, me saying this does not mean that I don't think Ben is the defensive player of the year, because I think he is. But I think the more clutch defender is Joel. Because, like, Ben can still occasionally, like, give up a, you know, like a, like a big shot here or there. Like, there there have been games where Ben's defended, you know, guys at, at near the end of, or at the end of games, and they've gotten their offense going. It hasn't happened often, but it has. Whereas Joel, it just doesn't happen. Like, they don't even try the paint with him. Not very often. I think the only game where I saw where, like, an offensive player, you know, get a game winner or game sealer against Joel was that weird Cleveland game where Sexton and Garland went off. But outside of that, like, I don't really remember that happening this year to Joel. So I'm going to say Joel, though. It's, it's really close. And I think I'm just doing this more to be contrarian to you than to, you know, always do it. But I mean, also, like I said, I think Joel has a legit case to be defensive player of the year, too. But my vote would still be Ben, even though I think Joel's more clutch defender on this team. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair. And we're we're gonna talk a little bit more about Joel here now. Um Lauren Rosen quoted him on Twitter as saying, um, I can't win alone. I need my teammates and I need them to have the most confidence they've ever had. I believe he said that after that Chicago game, which again he he like you said, Lucas kind of mentioned going through the motions a bit. Who do you think has to step up the most to help Joel in the playoffs this year? We can go with the obvious answer and say Ben, but that won't happen. I mean, let's be real. As much as we we all right. love Ben, let let's let's be real. It's not going to happen. He's so been let's, shooting. He's been shooting more mid range jump shots now. That, that that's really true. But that. I mean, that's true. But these are against bad teams, Uriah. I mean, you've talked about this in the past where he he shows out. He likes to show off a little bit more, experiment more against bad teams. I I, I don't think a blanket statement, you know. Ben won't step up is is fair. I mean, he won't shoot threes, but I don't think that's the bar he has to cross to step up. But well, I, well Ben wasn't my going to be my answer. I was just bringing. I know, the, but I, my, I I think it's a fair answer, and I, I disagree with the idea okay. that he's like a lost cause. My player for this playoffs is Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris has been horrendous for the Sixers in the past two playoffs. Granted, one of them, he had just been traded to the team at the trade deadline, and he was the fourth option. Fourth or fifth, if you consider how good J.J. was that year. Um, and then last year, it was the bubble. It was weird. There was no Ben to help him create his offense. So, it, it, And he was playing against a really good defender in Jason Tatum. So, But still, it was horrendous. Um, so my guy has to be Tobias. Yeah, I like that point. Yesterday was May 4th, um, Star Wars Day. I, I wrote an article comparing, you know, different players to different Star Wars characters. I, I hope everyone goes check and checks that out. But I, I, I chose Qui-Gon Jinn for Tobias, um, mainly because, you know, great locker room guy. Everyone loves him. Very wise and, and talented. But we, we all know what happened when he got on the big stage at the end there. It wasn't pretty. So... That I do agree that Tobias has to step up and, and do better in the playoffs. I think that's going to be a big X factor for Philadelphia. But I, I will say, I, I do think Ben is probably the answer here just because he does have to do better offensively than he has been this season. I think he's more than capable of doing it. We saw it in stretches before the All-Star break. We've seen it a little bit recently even 
where he just needs to be more aggressive in getting downhill and penetrating the defense. And when he does that, when he's attacking the paint and he's embracing contact, he's getting downhill on a consistent basis. He, he's pretty hard to stop, even if defenses don't care about his jumper. So I, I think the answer has been here. Um, I think both of them, though, are going to be pretty important. I think the bench unit needs to step up in a big way compared to what we saw last season. Mm-hmm. So there are any number of possible answers here, but I, I, I'll give my vote to Ben. Um, but I, I think Tobias is a good pick, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody needs to step up, obviously. The the, the correct answer is everybody. But I think, for, I, I think we both make good points there. But let's go ahead and talk about more about a role player. And I brought him up earlier in the podcast about his defense. But recently, NBA.com has updated their defensive player ladder for, you know, the, who they think should win defensive player of the year. This is this is an opinionated, this is not an official, you know, tally of, you know, voters or anything. But according to NBA.com, this is who they have in their top five. Ben Simmons, of course, that makes sense. Rudy Gobert. Bam Adebayo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Chris and Uriah. You guys ready for this? Matisse Thibel, number five. A bench guy. Unheard of. Unheard of. In his second season coming off the bench. Another guy who spent a pretty decent portion of his career playing 20 to 25 minutes a night would be Tony Allen. So I don't know if it's completely unheard of, but... I, I mean, obviously, Matisse has been super impressive this year. Um, I, I think he deserves that spot on the list. I don't I don't know if he would be top five if I had to rank my five defensive player of the year candidates, per se, but he's certainly in that conversation. And the fact that he is, as someone who plays 20 minutes, slightly less than 20 minutes a night, I think, certainly says a lot about his talent. Again, it's only his second year in the NBA. Um, he, he has plenty of room to grow still. So we're we're just going to see him continue to be on these lists for probably another 10 years. So big credit to him, and I, I'm really excited to see where his career goes from here. All I have to say is the trajectory that he's on right now is remarkable. On offense, he's becoming more and more comfortable with driving the lane and finishing. He even tried a one-handed dunk. He missed badly on one uh, a few games ago, but just defensively, because that's what we're talking about, He's special. It just is that simple. His instincts, his agility, his ability to recover, like you said earlier, Lucas, and block players from behind. I think that's going to pay dividends because, you know, these other teams have scouting reports and they know that that is one of his strengths. So that might alter a player like Kyrie or a player like Chris Middleton in terms of what they think they can do versus him. And that alone can psychologically impact an opponent. And that, uh, that, that that's just quite impressive for a second-year player. For sure. For sure. You bring up some great points, guys. Chris, I, to be fair to Tony Allen, he was a starter in Memphis for most of his career. And when he was a backup for the Celtics, he wasn't this good defensively in his second year. Oh, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't even this close. Not even close. Oh, yeah. So, so the projectory on the – you know, it's it's insane. Let's be real, because once, because he's still learning. He's twenty four years old, but he's still guys learning. Lucas, who gets three steals and four blocks in a game? Who who does that? 
on a weekly basis. Not like, it's you like know what? Every ten games. I will say this: if they recorded those stats back in the sixties, I can only think of one player, and I what, think you're right. Right. no. Oh, Russell. Russell. Okay. Russell. Russell was the most elite defender, right, of that era, and they didn't record blocks and steals. But if they did, I promise you. And, you know, he says this in his autobiography all the time. For our listeners that don't know, I did my senior thesis on Bill Russell as a, as a civil rights uh, activist, but I also learned a lot about his play, too. Um, he said he would have averaged at least seven to eight blocks per game if they would have recorded those stats. And I'm not saying Matisse will do that because he's only 6'5 as a wing. But as a wing, could he average two blocks a game in his prime? If he gets enough minutes, yes, easily, easily, easily. If he gets enough, if he plays twenty-eight minutes a game in his prime, I could see him averaging two and a half to three steals a game and two blocks per game because he is that good. I see multiple. He won't win it this year, and he shouldn't because it's Ben's award. But will he get multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards in his career? If he gets the playing time, he will. And it is that simple. Mm-hmm. And don't forget about his ability to close out. I mean, close out. It looks like recovering, recovering yeah. off. Yeah. A guy You're looks absolutely like he's open. Right. A guy looks like he's open in the corner in a blink of an eye. Bible's mm-hmm. right there. And next thing you know, the ball's in the stands. Yeah. That's why I said I think he will be a more iconic shot blocker at the wing, at the shooting guard position than Dwayne Wade. And that is no disrespect to Dwayne Wade. But that is just how high I think his ceiling is. And I, I don't think that's an outrageous statement to make. And yeah. Dwayne Wade made three defensive teams. Guys, you heard me like last month say this, that I think he deserves a second team all defensive team this year. Which brings me to my second question. Will he make an all defensive team this year, guys? Should he? I think so. Will he? I don't know, you know, like national media, local media from other cities. Are they going to vote for the guy who plays 20 minutes a night and is maybe the third best defender on this team? I don't know. Should he make it? Yes, I think so. He he will be on my ballot. It doesn't count for anything. Same. But I'm not betting in Vegas that he's going to be on first team or anything because I just don't know if he... As the national recognition, he won't get first plays. team. Chris, you're wrong. Oh no, 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 you're wrong in well, that. No, I'm no, no, no. Let me finish. It. Listen, you're wrong in that. It does count in my book. What you guys say matters to okay. me. Well, oh, thanks. just letting you know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, uh, but you, you're right. Do you think he'll get first or second team if if he gets it? Then? He'll he'll get at least second team, in my opinion. He he's played. Almost every game. I think he, I don't even know if he's missed a game this year. And, and it's not like he just does this against scrub teams. He does this against any opponent, no matter if they're an all star or they're a bench player. Devin Booker. Devin Booker. And then he makes clutch plays. I mean, we saw the play the other night against, uh, I think it was the Bulls. Mark. No, it was yeah. San Antonio. He blocked Patty Mills. Yes, he when did. The game was on the line. That was a huge mm-hmm. block. So, yes, he did. And then the statistics, and Mark Zumoff said it tonight during the, the broadcast of the Sixers-Houston game, he's number one in the entire league in deflections per minute. Per minute, he leads the entire league. You know, 20 minutes alone. 
So I think he'll get second team. What do you think? I I think we need to mat, you know campaign to Matt national media. I think that's what we need to do because I know there are some national guys like Max Kellerman and like Jalen Rose that recognize his game, but not enough do. And I think we need to you know we need to campaign for him. Matisse Stiebel, second team All Defensive <laughs> Team. We'll tag him. We'll ta- Matisse. We'll tag you in the post. You got to retweet it though. Got to get all the media people on it. Yeah, put it on the vlog. Yep, we'll put it on the Twitter. We'll put it on the Facebook. You got our support, Matisse, all the way. Sweet. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the the upcoming play-in tournament now. Um, LeBron, who is on the Lakers, who now may very well be in this play-in tournament, said, "Quote: Whoever came up with that ish, and I'm, I'm substituting for a different word there, uh, needs to be fired." Daryl Morey, who of course is the Sixers president of basketball operations said on Twitter, I can't believe the NBA hastily implemented a change that makes games more interesting and meaningful. Um, (laughs) I will say that LeBron literally last year was advocating on some random podcast for the play-in tournament. I I think clearly this season was maybe not the ideal time to implement it because games have been so, so tightly compressed and, you know, people are tired at this point and they have every right to be. So maybe they should have like waited a year, but <laughs> Lucas, what what are your thoughts on that? So you know what's really funny, Chris? LeBron James is one of the executive heads on the Players Association. This was collectively bargained. So LeBron James had his hand in this before it was agreed upon. And if it was if LeBron had a problem. His best friend, Chris Paul, who is the president of the Players Association, would have, you know, it would have came out that it was an issue then. It's only an issue now, like the All-Star game was for LeBron as well, now that it's inconvenient for LeBron. And I'm not calling LeBron a diva. I I don't think the All-Star game is the same thing. Well, let me say this. LeBron, the All-Star game was also collectively bargain between the players association and the league lebron had a, lebron had a say in that if yeah, that was an issue he would have said something have had an all-star game given the circumstances but like, he agreed to it at the time so he had no right to complain about it when it got closer to it yeah i mean i don't know if that's entirely fair obviously he's not the only one in that you know in the room making that decision it's not on it was an issue. He would have brought it up then and there, not right before the All Star yeah. game. And maybe he did, but like plans can change and leagues can, you know, make amends when you're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, I I definitely think there's reason to argue mm-hmm. that the All Star game shouldn't have happened. Uh, this is obviously a bit different. Um, but let, let me let me finish my point here. That being said, this is exactly what the what Adam Silver wanted. More teams actually trying. And not tanking at the end. You got a team like the Washington Wizards who were able to claw their way back and are a great story now. And it's changed the perspective on Russell Westbrook and the Bradley Beal and the Wizards completely. And now they're a dangerous team that could possibly be a seven or eight seed. And I mean, let's be real. If the they get the eighth seed and the Sixers stay on the one seed, that would be a fun first round series for all Sixers fans. Let's let's be real, because Russell Russell Westbrook and Joel Embiid, yes, yeah. please. 
So, <laughs> yeah. It'd so, be a, yeah. Four games. So, yeah, it'd be a fun four games. <laughs> so, so my point is this, is that this is exactly what the league wants. It creates more money during, a, you know, a money-tight league right now, thanks to the pandemic and, you know, not having fans. More revenue. It brings more interest. It stops teams. It stops teams from tanking or less, you know, stops more teams from tanking, four more teams from tanking, which change and it makes like the middle of the pack playoff race really interesting. Now people are trying to stay out of the seventh seed. And that's become an interesting story, especially out West, but even here in the East as well. I mean, if, you know, Boston and Miami could switch places, Boston could be theoretically out of the playoffs if they don't perform well in a two game stretch. I think it gives the NBA more of a, a feel of the NCAA and, and that excitement of, you know, teams, you know, have a shot. The underdog mm-hmm. team has a shot to sneak in. And, and like you said, Lucas, it gives the fans from all markets. And if their team was in the ninth or tenth spot, they'd be like, oh, you know, now I have no reason to watch basketball because my team's out. Well, with this playing tournament, they have a shot. And I think it's good for the fans. I think it's good for the league. The one thing I did want to mention is the actual quote that Maury tweeted at LeBron or towards Mm -hmm. LeBron, maybe indirectly. He said, I can't believe that the NBA hastily implemented a change that makes games more interesting and meaningful. So kudos to Daryl Maury for throwing a little shade at at LeBron because he has a point. Maury has a a big point. He, He certainly has a point. And like I said, it was collectively bargained. So LeBron was a part of that. And if he, if he didn't like it at the time, he would have spoken up at the time. He only doesn't like it now because his team's in in that situation. I, I, I tend to agree. I I do think again, this, this sort of an asterisk next to this season, just because, you know, the games have obviously been scheduled to, tightly together to compensate for the Olympics and the pandemic. More players are getting hurt now, and I, I can understand why there's some apprehension about it, you know, this specific season. But in, in general, I, I, I like the playing tournament. I think it'll be quite fun. Um, I, I hope the Wizards get in. I, I do think that would be a fun story. And Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook are frankly more interesting than, you know, the Charlotte yeah. Hornets. Well, I mean, I mean, they are they are interesting, but let's not sell the short Hornets shorts. They they're getting Gordon Hayward back, and they have Lamelo Ball back. So Lamelo is definitely a fun story, though it would be a much less interesting shellacking versus Washington. Because I mean, yeah, yeah, look, the the Hornets are a better team, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I I like the playing tournament. I I understand again. I think it's this season more than the fact that the plan exists. I think that's probably what's irking him. But, you know, if the Lakers are the six or seven seed right now, they're in danger of being in that. I don't, I think that would be pretty interesting. Like a high stakes game with LeBron and Anthony Davis to open up the, the playoffs would be pretty fun. So mm-hmm. I definitely think it makes for interesting basketball. I do have to say this, though. If you think about the Sixers and you think about the most polarizing player, it's clearly Ben Simmons for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the most, I don't know, the most polarizing figure probably in all of sports because of how politically active and outspoken he is, it's LeBron James. And I've always been a LeBron fan going back to his rookie season. I remember watching his first game ever live. I was watching it on TV and they were playing the Kings and here comes this 18, 19-year-old kid straight out of high school. And 
basically playing like he was a grown man. Here he is today, decades later, and he's still good. He's still physically capable of putting up good numbers. And I just, I don't know, I'm starting to lean toward, you know, the, the fan base that looks at LeBron and says, look, man, you know, less is more. You don't have to speak up on everything. And he does seem like he's kind of like a little whiny. It's like, come on, LeBron. That, <laughs> just that, like you said, he, last that, year was when it was when it didn't inconvenience him last year. He was like, oh, yeah, the play. Yeah, that's a great idea. And now all of a sudden, come on. Just just play. Uh, I think that a little bit of L.A. Diva life is rubbing off on him in the negative way. Big time. Big time. Uh, all right. All right, Skip Bayless. Um. <laughs> oh, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. If anything, I'm, mu- I'm much closer to Max Kellerman than Skip Bayless. Let's, <laughs> let's be real, because at least Max is, like, woke a little bit. Anyway. Okay. Okay, um, anyway. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, there's a chance we get a Lakers Warriors playing game with Steph and LeBron. Oh gosh, that would be fantastic! Yeah, so and then imagine if the Lakers and the Clippers play each other in the first round. Mm. Yeah, like there's some there's a chance for some pretty interesting basketball. Um, I really hope the Lakers don't fall to the eight seed because that might mean the Suns get knocked out in the first round if they get the one. I would seed. feel I, bad. For, I would feel bad for the Suns. I want the Suns to win it all, but. Well, no, what? to win the West. Sorry, <laughs> I misspoke. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're we're at the end of the road here, though. To all our listeners, thanks again for tuning in to yet another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. Wherever you're listening, iTunes, Spotify, leave a comment, leave a review, five stars if you feel we are worthy. Um, it would really help us out in a big way. We always appreciate you giving us the time a week to talk Sixers playoffs are right around the corner just a couple weeks away we have some very exciting topics and guests coming up in the near future so we will talk to you all again early next week thanks everyone